So I guess I've already done a prelude of sorts or an introduction of sorts to this interview, but here it is. Once again, here it is. Uh, disclaimer, some of this is hard to hear. Certain parts of it is hard to hear. So if you got sensitive ears, I mean, if you've been listening to the, the Rants cast up until this point, I'm assuming you don't have sensitive ears. But if you do, um, you may want to fall back and not listen. So here's part one. I'm not going to drop her name myself, but um, it was a very insightful interview, and I'm glad that you know she agreed. And as I was saying in the other introduction, was actually able to roll through. Well, yes, yeah, safety precautions were taken, but um, it was it's a very brave act to actually be rolling through to somebody you don't know off of the net which as you're going to hear the net has also had a negative has had some negative impact on her life so yeah yeah i don't want to say enjoy but this this is this is supposed to make the listeners um think a bit differently about the whole theme of mental health the concept of mental health what you know about people with these issues um and i guess we're in a time where there's increased awareness but then I also am aware that when you're spending a lot of time reading a lot of this stuff online, it tends to be, what is it? It's like a bubble. Um, we got into this, I, I, we got into this either in the interview or off mic about how, you know, the bubble creates this illusion of, of yes, mental health. The online bubble creates this illusion of mental health is being spoken about a lot. And it is a lot more. And there's, you know, speaking engagements surrounding it, podcasts focused on it, you know, social media accounts, Instagram accounts, Twitter accounts dedicated to it. But it is still a taboo subject. So I guess this series of interviews was, um, well, this interview is sort of, you know, our contribution to the to the overall conversation. Um, I hope y'all can find some, I don't want to say inspiration, but I hope something in the story sparks something in your own minds that allows you to think differently about this subject. So what is your, um, what is a bit of your background, your story? Like, where does it all start as far as uh, mental health struggles or battles? Um, probably when I was about 12 years old, I would have to say that my sister started struggling seriously with depression. And my parents put about 90% of their attention onto her because they had never dealt with that before. So I was left pretty well by myself to do everything and I guess the pressure kind of got to me I just uh I'd grow up a little bit faster than I should have and so whereabouts are you from just for the listeners you don't have to say the exact city or street just where in Ontario are we right now Ottawa Ontario and so I guess my next question would be what was like the first, was there a specific moment where it was like you noticed 
that things were kind of unraveling? I wouldn't say that there was a specific moment. I would say that it was kind of a volcano. It would just get worse and worse slowly over time. I, um, I never really noticed until one day when it kind of just came and it exploded and everything got really bad. And on that, when that erupted, when that volcano erupted, what were some of the, like, what was some of your thought process going through that? You know what I mean? I was really alone. I felt really alone anyway. Um, I didn't have many friends. It was summer, so not many people would pay attention to me. I didn't have a job, so I didn't have a, a forced, socialize, forced socialization and... Basically, I was left alone with my thoughts all the time, every day, and uh, the only contact I had was through social media, where people would constantly degrade me and belittle me and bully me. Okay, so yeah, I was going to ask about the friend network. So there wasn't really a friend network during this time? Um, no, I didn't really. I did have one friend at the time, uh, but that was more of a negative influence on me. She more or less used me for things that I would give her. I would give her money when I had it. Uh, she would only want to hang out with me when I had something that she wanted. Basically. And you said um, on social media, so there was only the one friend, and on social media there was people. there were people like basically bullying you, so to speak. Would you say that? Yeah, I had a lot of comments, uh, a lot of the people decided that they wanted me to die, so they would tell me that I was worth nothing. Uh, I should go kill myself. I was very fat and ugly. Basically worth nothing. And was it a specific... Because you know there's all these different platforms or social media sites. Was it one that was really... like when, As you're talking, I'm thinking Facebook, but I don't know if that's really the case. You tell me. Platform-wise, it was basically Facebook and Snapchat. It was a lot of Facebook. There would be uh, comments on any posts I would make about, you know, I'd post a picture saying, yeah, I'm feeling beautiful. And I had one comment say, well, you're not looking it. And then on Snapchat is where it got really bad because basically you couldn't, you couldn't save the proof. You couldn't, I didn't screenshot anything anyway. So a lot of people just said whatever they wanted. Let it affect me. Okay. So, so I guess kind of to backtrack. So on social, you have one friend who uses you. You have a, you have social media where people are basically just talking shit. And the parents are basically not really focusing on you. And you're feeling totally alone. Was there any, I don't know, you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to, admit to it or say anything but was there like substance abuse of any kind at the time um no there was no substance abuse per se but there was a lot of self-harm um a lot of suicidal thoughts a lot of suicidal ideation and whereas other people would go for coping mechanisms with alcohol and drugs um uh, my first coping mechanism was food (laughs) So, 
what would have been because at least because in the case of of those traditional coping mechanisms um like say booze like i had a problem with that and that eventually catapults not catapults what's the word when it gets to when when you get to be drinking too much there's an obvious kind of a a breaking point where you're like all right i gotta stop what was the and but food is different and that's something else i battled too that one is like because you need food to live so it's kind of hard to just turn that off what was some of your like in the like how did you deal with that overall i mean i never really i guess i could say that i never really dealt with that in a positive manner i um I would binge and then I would go and I would throw up and then I would binge the next day and I would again force myself to throw up and over time uh, I kind of taught myself to like to focus more on the healthier foods so when I'm upset instead of eating ice cream I go and I eat strawberries and you know maybe sometimes I'll put sugar on the strawberries but it's still a better alternative than to what I was eating. Okay, so, okay, so the to backtrack to the the volcanic eruption, basically. What what was your experience with the local services, the local mental health services? How easy was it for you to get, say, a psychiatrist or even just a counselor or somebody to talk to? Access to uh, mental health. any social workers or anybody it was very hard especially living in the small town that i did uh i would have to go into ottawa and in ottawa i didn't really have any connections i didn't know how to make those connections and so i didn't i didn't know how to ask for the help basically i wanted it uh i needed it but i didn't know how to ask for it So what was the, okay, so you didn't know how to ask for it. What was the first stop? Let's say you came to, let's say the first time you came to Ottawa, you're like, all right, I need a mental health professional. I am going to go here. Like what was the first thought in your mind of where to go? Um, well, I didn't actually go into town. Like I didn't make that choice of coming in I actually had had a suicide attempt and that suicide attempt led me to the hospital which then led me to help and again this maybe this is prying too much but was the suicide attempt cutting related no um, I did attempt to but at that point but I was way too high I had taken I think about two bottles of pills uh, mixed any pill that I could get my hands on and I drank as much bleach as I could force down my throat uh, without throwing up which surprisingly wasn't a lot I guess unsurprisingly wasn't a lot okay so I'm like were you on, I'm assuming you were unconscious for a while too, right? Um, I was unconscious for about, I would, I would say two hours, I, an hour. They basically, I remember having the cops come into my house uh, and then they, 
I have a very bad memory of this, but they basically, they used a pressure point on my shoulder because I had had a knife and was threatening to hurt myself. And so they disarmed me, I guess would be the correct word. And then then my next memory was just waking up in the hospital uh, with just tubes everywhere. Basically, they had to pump my stomach and my throat was completely burnt. I couldn't speak for two weeks, I would say. Okay, so you wake up and you can't speak. What was the first thing you when you woke up and you were kind of aware of what exactly, where you were and if your memory came back, you know, what you had done? What did you think? What was the first thing that you thought about? To be honest, I was, I was really upset. I was, I wasn't planning on waking up. So waking up, I guess, um, a lot of it was just a lot of cussing. (laughs) Just why am I still here? Why didn't I go through with it? Why didn't, why couldn't I have gone worse? Why couldn't I slit my my wrists or my throat? Why did I have to take pills? That's an easy way. Uh, I just felt very attention seeking and I I was so regretful of not doing something more drastic that would have led to a faster and more uh, concrete death. Okay. Now, and I'm not sure what, at what point they would have deemed you to be like, um, well, I guess you said you couldn't speak for two weeks. Was there a point where when they realized like, okay, you're okay, you're alive, you can speak now, um, it's time to speak to like a counselor or a psychiatrist or somebody like, or whoever counselor, social worker, whatever. I didn't really reach that point for a while. I, I, I was living more in a regretful phase of not being able to go through with it. And the first time I received any help was, I would have to say very forced. I didn't, I didn't want to talk to people. I just wanted to say, let me get back to that really bad point. Let me do it again. And I just, I didn't want to talk about my problems. I just wanted to sleep and when I could muster up the strength, kill myself again. And uh, yeah, so in the beginning you said your parents were absent basically, right? I mean, you weren't the focus of your, of your parents, right? My parents didn't have any experience with dealing with mental health. And so when my sister was um, brought to the hospital for mental health-related issues, uh, they didn't know how to deal with it. So they thought, put all my effort into her. So although they did love me, they thought that because I was mentally stronger than my sister, that I didn't need as much uh, attention. So kind of this led to me acting out and maybe doing some things that I shouldn't have, like my first time smoking pot. And, all, you know, I was, I think, 12, um, doing kind of like gateway drugs, nothing too extreme, but a lot of things that I just kind of regret now. So in the hospital, I'm getting, they, your parents showed up, right, and visited, or was it sort of a, they couldn't handle it sort of a thing? My parents 
were on the way home from work and they had received a call from the hospital saying that I was there. And so they came with my sister or my brother. Yeah. Um, and they were really surprised, very, very surprised about everything because they thought I did such a great job hiding it. They thought I was perfectly happy. Okay, so let's touch on that a bit. Um, what, what's the what? What do you? What are your thoughts on the idea of somebody who is? And I guess the, currently, right now, with the in the internet world, there's this idea of people are coming out and saying that, "Hey, I'm I'm." You might see me to be quote unquote normal, or you might see me to be um, having it all together, but in reality, I'm not. What would you say about the whole hiding it thing? Like, how were you ever surprised that you were able to hide it? You know what I mean? Like, in the sense that should should there have been signs? Is what I'm guess what I'm getting at that people should have picked up on. I think a lot of it was me trying to hide it for myself too. I um, I didn't want to accept where I was. I didn't. A lot of it was trying to just fake it till I make it. I wanted to say I didn't need the help. I, I don't need the help. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and the signs were, they were small, but they were there. There was no, initially there was no self-harm. It would just be, I would go off by myself a lot and I would spend time by myself crying or I wouldn't eat dinner with the family or I wouldn't want to go out. And it was small things that altogether would be um, seen as a sign, but just things that on their own you wouldn't notice. Okay. So when you... What was the follow-up like after being released? What was that whole process up until being released? Did you want to be released? Like, what was the... What was the whole being released process from the hospital? What was the follow-up like? I know that's a lot of questions, but... <laughs> okay. So I was originally, when I had my first suicide attempt, I was brought to the Kingston Hospital because that's where uh, my small town has jurisdiction, I guess. And I spent about a month there and I, I did everything to be released. I, they had cameras and uh, microphones in the hallways. And it was just, it was so hard when you wanted to create a connection with people and you weren't allowed so i just i stopped speaking i i didn't talk to i didn't talk to anyone i just spent my time in my room sleeping or drawing and when i got out it was actually one of the worst experiences because i felt that that hospital did absolutely nothing they just said okay you know you're not in a crisis anymore good luck <laughs> okay I heard you say drawing, and I'm going to kind of backtrack just because this is the thing too, right? The whole the creativity and um, how it can help. It might not be the answer, but it helps. Um, do you did you were you big into drawing? Are you still big into drawing, or was it just something you did at the time to get through it? Um. So with drawing. I was really into drawing sunsets. I didn't draw 
anything else but sunsets because it was something I was good at and the more I did it the better I got and I just wanted to be good at something the like the first thing I felt good at so I would use everything I could markers pencils uh, pastel paint I just I felt that this because kind of like a way out of the hospital it was through just focusing on something that I could see myself good at. Well, let me, okay, let me ask another question. So I read this, um, okay, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to pick this back up in another episode here. 